Amen. I love him, do you? I do. Glad he loves me. Glad he loves me in spite of me. Um, remember Dr. Falwell saying years ago, if everybody knew you the way God knew you, there wouldn't be any bragging going on, right? And yet God loves me even though he knows me and knows all of me. And the wonderful thing about the Lord is he takes you as you are, but he doesn't leave you that way. And we've been looking at some crucial characteristics of the Christian life, and we're wrapping up that series today. A Christian will be marked with certain distinguishable characteristics. While what we've been doing is not a, an all-inclusive list, nothing that we've gone over will be absent in genuine or biblical Christianity. We, we saw it began with a commitment to the authority of Scripture. The Bible is the skeleton that holds the Christian life together. It is the Word of the, of the living God, and you're committed to that. You have to be committed to that. The Gospel comes from that. Then there's biblical love. It's like the nervous system that sends impulses, moving us to, to action. There's a life of service. Be given to servanthood. You're a bond slave. You're a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. And and if you want to be great in the kingdom, greatest in the kingdom, you know that that passage very well. It's it's a life of of, of service. It's not about you. It's about the Lord and others. And then there was forgiveness. You're, you you walk in the forgiveness of Christ, and you forgive others. If you will not forgive others their trespasses, then neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Very serious passage. Clay talked about the great mission that we are on, which is to, to fulfill God's mission, to participate in that. And then we looked at persevering faithfulness. Lastly, today, we're going to, we're going to see that Christians have a, a giving heart. Now, when you think of giving, you, you may think of obedience, you may think of have to, you may think of blessing, you may even think of false teachers. That was what I thought about before I came to, to Christ. Maybe you don't think much about giving at all. Maybe you, maybe you don't believe in it. You're like the guy after the missionary preached for an offering and the offering for the foreign field was, was taken and he sat there arms crossed as the, as the usher passed the plate in, in front of him and as he did the man just shook his head and, and uh, the usher leaned over and whispered and says, it's for missions, you know, and, and still a scowl. And, and the man says, I, I don't believe in it. And the usher then leaned down and said, then take some out. It's, it's for the heathen anyway. What should come to your mind when you hear giving is not Benny Hinn, is not so God will bless you, not so God won't you know, strike your car with a flat tire because you didn't tithe. What you should think about is, is God. You, you only have to go to one of the most recognized verses, recognized verses in all the Bible to see that clearly. To see that clearly. For God so loved the world that He gave, right? I mean, that is the verse that Everybody knows, even unbelievers. You go to the football game and the guy's standing there. You should think about God whenever you hear the word give because 
That's what he did. And notice, it's a giving heart that moved the Lord to do something. His love poured out toward us in an act of, of giving. In fact, it would be, it would be hard to, to disconnect those two things. It would be hard to find anyone who does not grasp the, the concept that, that sharing of your resources or giving is tied to your heart or, or what you believe in. It's, it's a, it's not just a church concept. It's, it's even a concept held by those outside of the church. Many godless people give and are very generous with their possessions in furthering a cause that they, they believe in. I mean, you hear, you can see on the news, you can read all of the, of the time. People leaving millions of dollars to secular institutions or foundations. It's not all bad. I mean, you can walk through the hospital and you can typically see a wall where a cancer wing was built or, or something like that. Someone had a heart, someone had, uh, had, had a need met or whatever it might be and, and their, their heart wanted to, wanted to give. Millions are given to political campaigns. Um, I saw an article where a, New York's, a woman in New York City left $13 million to her cat who died. I have no idea why someone would do that, but I guess she really loved that cat and wanted that cat to be taken care of. What may surprise you, not that, that giving is tied to the heart and, and you support wherever your heart is, what may surprise you is that God ties giving in the church to Christian liberty. It's tied to being set free from, from the law. God says giving is a spiritual activity of one anothering. And it's a distinguishing characteristic of those who are filled with the Spirit, those who are operating in Christian liberty. And I want to show you that this morning. I think you can see this marked very clearly in one of the early epistles, one of the earliest epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote. And I want to show you that and also give you some instructions from Galatians chapter 6. So open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6 this morning. And we're kind of parachuting in the midst of, of this, this, this book. And here's some application. In verses 1 through 10 of Galatians 6, there's, there's some activities, there, there's, some, there's some deeds or some practices that come from a, a Spirit-filled life. Now, those of you who are familiar with Galatians know Paul's going back and forth between the Judaizers, which are trying to bind up people by the law, and he's comparing that to, to being... Uh, to being set free by the Spirit. So you have this law and Spirit. Not that the law is bad, but the way the Judaizers were applying it. And so he comes to this crescendo in Christi about Christian liberty at the end of chapter 5 and verse 13. It says, You were called to freedom, brethren. You were called to liberty. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's the heart. There's the love. Because God loved you, you have been set free. And that freedom gives you an opportunity. And then he talks about this freedom that comes from the, from the Spirit. In verse 16 of chapter 5, he says, I say, walk by the Spirit. And you'll not carry out the, the desire of the flesh. That's in verse 16. 
He talks about being led by the Spirit in verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, in verse 18, I should say, you're not under the law. So walk by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. And then he talks about the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. You know the works of the flesh and the deeds of the flesh. Now, the fruit of the Spirit is this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The law can't bring those things about. In verse 25, he talks about living by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk or keep in step with the Spirit. You see this? This contrast, it's all about Spirit living. Those who have been set free by the Spirit, called to God, given the Spirit of God, they're 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 in liberty. They're walking. They're being led. They're they're alive. They have the they have the fruit of the spirit. Look at how he continues this in Galatians six verse one. Now he's going to get down into the specifics. What does it look like to walk by the spirit? To be led by the spirit? To bear the fruit of the spirit practically? Well, I mean, I know it says love, joy, peace. What does it look like in my Christian life? Well, that's what is is given here in in these first. 10 verses. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual. He keeps the same theme. Now he's talking about the spiritual ones. The spiritual ones are the ones that he's just defined with all of those things that we just went through. The spiritual ones here have four activities. And as they practice them, they all are related to the, to the church. They, they bear one another's burdens. They carry their own weight in verses 4 and 5. They give where they grow in verses 6 through 8. And they, they persevere in good works, verses 9 and 10. They, they love and they forgive. They serve and they don't use the church. They, they have a giving heart. They persevere in faithfulness. They don't grow weary in well-doing. And right in the middle of that section of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit, to have the fruit of the Spirit, to be a spiritual person... He says sharing material possessions is one of those activities. It's a spiritual activity. It's not an option. It's a responsibility. It is what naturally flows from your life. God has a giving heart and believers have a giving heart. And there are four instructions that he gives here about giving where you grow. There are four instructions that he gives here about giving where you grow. Let's look at the first one found in verse 6. Look at verse 6. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from, his, from the flesh reap corruption. And the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of of faith. In verse 6, he says, Giving is a spiritual responsibility of every member. Look at Verse 6, he tells us who he's talking to. The one who is taught. That's the audience. The one who is taught the Word. 
is the one who is to share all good things. Let the one who is taught, Paul says. The one who receives careful instruction. That's the audience. He's not talking to visitors or attenders or unbelievers. He's talking to Christians. The one who is, who is taught, the one who receives careful instruction. It's the same audience as you who are spiritual in verse 1. It's the same audience as those who, are, who have the fruit of the Spirit, the ones who are walking by the Spirit, who are alive by the Spirit, who have been set free by the, by the Spirit. It's the regular attenders of the churches in Galatia. That's who, who this command is given to. And it's, a, it's an imperative. It's a, it's, a, it's a command. It's the regular attenders of the churches in Galatia. Now, I hope you know, you, I know you know this because you're well taught, the New Testament does not have a category for churchless Christians. As much as you may hear or see, the New Testament does not know a, a, a Christian without a church. It's, it's part of the Great Commission. It's not just about a decision. Yes, it's a personal thing with you and God, but, but then you are become part of the ecclesia. You're part of the assembly where you're taught all things, and, and, and you, you profess that in baptism. The church doesn't, or the New Testament doesn't know a category of churchless Christians. Now, I had to ask for forgiveness last Sunday night for an off-the-cuff comment, and I hope I won't have to do that again tonight with this story. But I was telling one of the other pastors this past week that somebody showed me an Instagram of this past week of some young millennial theologian. Uh, this barely college-age girl was was sitting by the pool, and and she says, "I skipped church this morning. This was on a Sunday. I skipped church this morning, but not really because the church is wherever you're at. Now, never mind the word church is." is ecclesia, which means an assembly of people, and she's alone by herself by the pool. And, of course, she, she says this while angling her camera to catch the best angle of her bikini legs in the pool. And this is what might get me in trouble. Can I just say, if you're under 30, don't post spiritual messages on social media unless you're quoting somebody who's dead and likely like before the, the 1800s, and definitely don't talk about Jesus if any age half-naked by a pool. Um, that's just probably not a really good, good platform to communicate spiritual truths. The idea is not you and God. The idea is that you're part of a body. You're part of an assembly. And the word that Paul uses here for taught is, is different from the normal word of teach. It's, it's the word where we get to catechize. We catechize our children. We systematically teach them. Paul is saying those who, are, who, who have systematic, careful instruction. It makes it clear. He's talking about church members, and that is part of what happens in the church. Careful, systematic instruction. Careful, systematic exposition of the Word. Line upon line, precept upon precept, verse by verse, you understand the Bible. Because you want to understand the Bible. You are inspired by the truth. You love God. And the person who receives this in the church is the one who is to communicate or to share his material possession. So he even tells us, what they're to share. The one who is taught this careful, systematic instruction is to share all good things. 
And that phrase, all good things, are good things. It can mean a number of, 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 of different aspects. Goods or riches. Paul could be talking about more than, than just, just money or resources here, but it surely isn't less. I, I think he's, he's honing in on resources because he says share. And, and later he talks about doing good. So you have later in verses 9, let us not lose heart in doing good. We are to, uh, verse 10, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Here he talks about sharing all good things. So it could be more than that, but more than money, but it's not less than that. I think resources is what he's focusing on because he uses that word to, to share. And we'll look at that before, before we leave. Now, now, any time you, you talk about giving, even with believers, the, the rule of the doctor applies. You know what the rule of the doctor is? I'll tell you what it is. When you go to the doctor and you go for an annual checkup, he'll, he'll often begin to poke and to prod and to press in all kinds of places, and they ask you the question, the doctor asks you, does this hurt, right? Does this hurt? How about this? You know, when I was growing up, I had a family doctor, I'll never forget him, named Dr. Krigger, and he was the roughest physician I've ever had in my entire life. I mean, five-year-old, ear pulled back, and, you know, in goes the otoscope, and, I mean, you know, it didn't touch this eardrum, it, you touched this one on the other side. It was horrible. I didn't want to go to the doctor. You know, does this hurt? <laughs> yeah, that hurts really bad. So... So, whatever you cover a topic that, like this, if you crowd in pain, one of two things is happening. Either the doctor is pushing too hard without sensitivity, or more likely, there's something wrong. And the doctor will say it's not supposed to hurt there. So, it's either the doctor's fault or it's not supposed to hurt there. So, I don't have any desire to push too hard because I'm under the text as, as well, believe me. I'm evaluating, even this past week. But if it's the second case, if God presses somewhere and it hurts and it's not supposed to hurt there, it's not supposed to hurt there for a Christian. A Christian shouldn't have any angst in their heart about having a giving heart or, or, even, or even covering a topic like that. And if that's the case, then you need to go to the great physician because it's not supposed to hurt there. Giving good things is part of the Christian life. And it reveals the heart like nothing else. That's why Jesus addresses it so frequently. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, one out of every six verses deals with possessions. One out of every six verses in the Gospels. Out of the 29 parables that Jesus gave, 16 deal with a person and their goods. And you can go to 2 Corinthians 8 and plenty of other Places. So, Paul says, Spirit-filled, you who are spiritual, those who live by the Spirit, those who walk by the Spirit, those who bear the fruit of the Spirit, giving is common and required if you are a believer. Let him, says the text. It's a command to all who are taught the Word. And secondly, you give to your local church primarily. Giving is done where you are a member. I know this seems like duh, but it's right here. And you'd be surprised how many people get that out of order. The one who is taught, verse 6, the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Now, who's Paul writing to? He's writing to the churches, believers in the church at Galatia. 
And these believers are being gathered and they're being taught the Word systematically in that church. And giving is done where you're a member. The local church is the mechanism that God has established to take the gospel to the nations and to sanctify the saints. Now, now I'm not saying this uh, because I'm a local church guy. Well, I am. I am because that's what the Bible teaches. I'm saying this because you can see it all the way back from Genesis through the law into the New Testament. There's progressive revelation. And what is, what is taught in the Old Testament, developed further in the Old Testament with the prophets, gives way in the New Testament. And here you have an early epistle, one of the earliest epistles, Galatians and then James, and then later developed how giving is done, proportionately, sacrificially, all of those things. And Paul here, in this early epistle, is saying, you who are instructed in the church are to give where you receive that instruction. He directly ties your sharing to where you're in a member, which is where you're fed. Now, you can give as a steward to other ministries, missionaries, and individuals as the Lord would lead. I would be careful, even as you do that, not to get an individualistic heart. But it's very clear here that it's only after the teaching ministry of the church is cared for. And that's the thrust of the church. I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but the church's purpose is, is teaching, proclaiming, preaching and teaching. And don't divide those two. Preaching that doesn't teach is, is not really preaching. And teaching can be specific instruction, but you're still proclaiming something on behalf of the Lord. So, so there's teaching within the church. The church does teaching within. Teaching within the church this morning. You're being edified. You're being taught from the Word. You're being systematically instructed from the Bible. And then the church either through you as individuals or through missionaries or through whatever ministries you teach outside of the church. That's evangelism. You are proclaiming the good news of Christ. You're sharing with people who Christ is. And so this teaching ministry is, is supported, needs to be supported. When I first started pastoring, I faced a dilemma with this verse. Um, the church that I first started pastoring, obviously not Timberlake, it didn't have a Sunday night service whenever I came. And we met and we talked about how we wanted to do that. It had never had that, and, and the members wanted to do that. Um, so until we put a plan together, until we could have a Sunday night service, um, Tracy and I continued to go to another church, the church that we were at before I started pastoring this church until the kickoff date because we went to church on Sunday night. That was just normal a normal rhythm of of life, And it was only a few months, but it was every Sunday night. And so here I'm receiving teaching from another church, but I'm a member, and in fact a pastor, the pastor of this church that um, I'm, I'm now the, the senior elder of. And I wrestled with this verse, what do I do here, Lord? It's not right for my family to be ministered to and fed from this other body and let those other members of that church... Support my kids in Awana and, and, and all of the other ministries. I, I, don't, I don't want to just take resources, even though it's temporary, but I was a member of the other church. And I can, I can remember um, Paul's word here. 
talking about it's systematic, week in, week out instruction is what he's applying to, and how that's where you're obligated. It's your home church, and that the, the Bible expects you to be part of the church. I, I don't, you don't get your systematic teaching from you know, Radio Pastor Rod or Podcast Teacher Paul. You, you, have, a, you have a shepherd. You have a, you have a pastor. Pastor teachers, there are multiple ones. You observe their life. They, they communicate the Word to you. That's in context. You can see them live out what they, what they proclaim. And so as I wrestled through that, I, I gave to the church that I was receiving the primary teaching from where I was a member, and then I determined a level of giving appropriate to support that other ministry for the couple months that we were there. And then when my church had the Sunday night, I stopped going there completely and stopped giving um, and then went totally with my local church because that's what giving was created for. Giving, number three, was created to support the main ministry of the church. Now, you may not have watched this development, and I'm going to give you a thumbnail development of, of giving throughout the Old and New Testament. It's a responsibility of every member in the body. It's done where you are a member, where you receive systematic teaching, and it supports the main ministry of that church. Let me simplify giving to you, oversimplify, because I think you can get all twisted up in the New Testament. Does the New Testament teach tithing? And what's sacrificial? And what's, what's proportionate? And, and you can see all kinds of bad applications and practices, and, and you get you know, all types of pleas for money in the mail. Let me simplify it for you. Giving is for worship, and it's for the support of God's work, which is increasing that worship. Giving is for worship, and it's for the support of God's work to increase that worship. Now, where do you see that in the Bible? You realize that giving was established before the Mosaic Law, because ultimately it was about worship. Abel and Abraham and Jacob all gave unto the Lord out of, out of worship. The tithe wasn't established then. Moses wasn't around. There wasn't a system organized. And that's what happened. As, as God shows worship, that's an aspect of worship, and then the law of Moses comes and he establishes this systematic tithe of support to support the organized work of God, the tabernacle and the tent. Uh, the temple, you know, tithe means tent. We don't have time to go in all There's actually three primary tithes in the Old Testament. There was the Levitical tithe given to provide for the servants of the tabernacle. There was the festival tithe given to operate worship in Israel. There was the poor tithe given every third year to provide for the widows, the fathers, and the Levites. And then there were offerings and other commands related to giving. All of that was out of faith. It was an act of worship. And all of that giving was to support... The ministry, the ongoing ministry, which was to for God to gather more worshipers. I must have pushed too hard, right? Well, we don't have time this morning to break all that down. And if you want that, Bergen, we, we covered it in many messages a couple times ago. God's program is aimed at worship and drawing in more worshipers. The gifts that were received in the tithes in the Old Testament system provided for the ministry of God on the earth. It supported the Levites. It, it provided for the feasts. It kept the tabernacle going. And it also cared for people that could not care for themselves. 
long before Social Security or Medicaid or Medicare or the government. And the ministry of God on the earth is to teach the saints and seek the lost and to provide for those who can't provide for themselves. To teach the saints, to seek the lost, and to provide for those who can't provide for themselves. And in the end, it's all about God. And that's the backdrop laid for New Testament giving. And God continues with the purpose. You who are spiritual, there's the worship. It's an act of the heart. You share with the one who teaches. There's God's ministry inside the church, outside of the church. Galatians was written in four, around 49 A.D., which is less than 20 years from the ascension of Christ. So on Paul's first missionary journey, only James was written earlier. You have a very early writing here, which is significant. Why is it significant? Because it tells us in the early days of the church, local congregations were gathered, they're organized, they're ordered for believers to be systematically taught the Scriptures. They're gathered, they meet, they're taught the Bible, there's a teacher, there's a system, there's a support that's going on. And then development comes. You can go to Acts 14, where they were organized and elders were appointed in the church, and so on and so forth. You can go to 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and see the qualifications of those who systematically teach. It's for the worship of God for your own heart, and it's to support the ministry that God has on the earth. It's not for $45 million airplanes or whatever else the heretic Jesse Duplantis talks about. It's for gathering more worshipers. Evangelism exists because worship doesn't. Let me give you number four. Giving is likened to spiritual fellowship. You say, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a missionary. I'm not any of those things. Well, the last thing that Paul focuses on here that I'll draw out is that you participate in all of those things. Giving is likened to spiritual fellowship here. Look at verse 6 again. The one who is taught the Word is to share. Remember I focused on that word? To communicate all good things with the one who, who teaches him. The word for share, communicate, is, is related to the word where we get koinonia, fellowship. And you may have heard all kinds of motivations for the topic of giving. Obedience, you give because you have to. As I said, God will break his car down. The only problem with that is there are plenty of is. Most of that's promoted in by the liberal theologians because they don't have any truth. And so they have to have some social agenda to replace that. And all of these approaches have an aspect of truth. There is obedience, there is blessing. It is to care for others, but all of those are incomplete. And the greatest motivation I think Paul outlines right here, someone who has systematically taught the Word, who is ministered to by the Word, gets the privilege of having spiritual fellowship, gets the privilege of fellowshipping with the ministry of God, that what God's doing in the church and outside of the church as they share all good things. It's an activity of one anothering 
Sharing means to come in common fellowship with, to be a sharer, to be made a partner. Literally, to make another's necessity your own. And you get the privilege to participate in that. And people don't always know. Charles Spurgeon and his wife, according to a story in Chaplin Magazine, would sell but refuse to give away the eggs their chickens laid. Even close relatives were told, you may have them, but you have to pay for them. And as a result, people labeled the Spurgeons as greedy and grasping. They accepted the criticisms without defending themselves. And it was only after Mrs. Spurgeon died was the full story revealed. All of the profits from the sales of the eggs went to support two elderly widows in the church. And because the Spurgeons were unwilling to let their left hand know what their right hand was doing, they endured attacks in silence. Isn't that a beautiful story? Men may not know what you participate in or the level of which you participate in. In fact, they shouldn't. But as a regular part of your Christian life, you give as an act of worship and you support the work that God is doing on the earth that's in your local church, and then the Lord may lay on your heart to do other things beyond that, whether it's the price of eggs or much more. And what men see, God sees better. And Paul is saying, giving is the way you're a receiver of, of, of fellowship in that spiritual truth. It's taught here and in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy and plenty of other places. And the New Testament theology on giving is just beginning to be developed here. And you can flesh all of that, all of that out. An act of giving brings fellowship with the Lord and with whatever He is, is doing. I talked to Tracy. She is she and the kids are are uh, are in West Virginia for my niece's sister's daughter's wedding uh, shower. The second one that's getting ready to to be married. And I was talking to her on the phone. I was telling her you know about the phone call that I shared with you, the friend. And um, we were just talking about how you never know how the Lord's going to bring up uh, fruit. And we also talked about. There were others. This, this man said that the person that was instrumental in his life was his wife and that I actually introduced him to his wife and she had faithfully prayed for him to come to the Lord. And, um, and so we just rejoiced in being a participant. We were part of the, the link chain, part of the, part of the process, and you get to do that in the teaching and in the evangelism and the missions and others in the, in the church. Giving is common. It's where you primarily receive teaching. You give to support that, and it is spiritual fellowship. You do that when the body gathers, and how much is proportionate to what you have and what you think of God and that's between you and Him. Good word. Let's pray.